You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Welcome to New Life. So glad you guys are here this morning. Um, if you're new, we are finishing up our last week, our last verse of Psalms 23 this morning. Um, I'm just going to be down here um, today. And uh, I know the lighting's not great, but uh, it's what we need to do for the baptism. So uh, it'll be good. I didn't want to be up there trying to point at different parts of this painting. And as you've been here, you've seen this painting develop over the weeks. And so, kids, before I dismiss you, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but the first week and the first verse, all we could see was the shepherd. And then as we progress through the chapter of Psalms 23, each week, different elements highlighting different aspects of the verse, different what, what, the, what the significance, and, and as we broaden our understanding of, of David, who penned this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down, and how significant that was for him in his life hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and yet how it absolutely still applies to us today and is significant to us in our lives. That this chapter is far more than just what we read at a funeral or is just on a coffee mug or a poster or whatever. And that we could literally meditate on these six verses the rest of our lives and never run out of options in exploring it. Never run out of times of, of it bringing new life and new meaning into us. So um, I just wanted to say that real quick, kiddos, before we had you head out. So um, you guys enjoy Children's Church. Thanks for singing with us. So your leaders are in the back there ready to receive you. And, uh, and parents, if you're new, your kids will be in this hallway right here with some great leaders loving on them. Uh, sharing Jesus with them, and that's where you can pick them up at the end. So, uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Psalms 23. Uh, Psalms 23 is where we're going to be in your Bible or on your device. Uh, maybe you don't need to. Maybe you've got it memorized, you've known it. Maybe in the King James Version since you were three or four years old, kind of like me. And what a blessing that is. And yet at the same time, our challenge in that is also... Hey, I know this, like John 3.16, so we quit paying attention to it. We quit, we quit exploring it and not wanting to understand additional meaning in it. And so, again, for our last week, as I've challenged throughout this series, I want to make sure we're not tuning out. We're not t- turning this off just because we've memorized it, just because uh, we heard something about it. I keep getting reports from people this week, last six weeks that we've been on this about how the irony or coincidence, I don't believe in them necessarily, about how Psalms 23 just kind of keeps popping up to them. Uh, uh, Gary was talking about how a sermon series that he subscribes to because he does a lot of driving and so he listens to a lot of sermons and and one of the preachers, uh, that was what came in the mail during this time. And so I was like, Gary, let me know if I missed something, buddy, (laughs) because I certainly don't have it all figured out. You know, and other people sending me songs and, and uh, verses and different things, things I've seen on even social media where 
uh, <clears throat> it just seems to keep popping up. And I love how God does that. How God will use different places, different circumstances, different points at each, for each one of us that just really seem to drive what he's trying to say is to us home. So, would you stand with me? Let's read this. If you're willing and able. If you've got a recent surgery or something, you don't have to. <laughs> How are you feeling? Good. Okay. Good. Um, but I just think it gives honor to God's word when we do this together. Uh, it is his written word. And I'm reading in the Christian Standard Bible. It should be on the screen for you there if you have a different version and things kind of get jumbled up. But uh, I love some of the wording in this. Would you read it out loud with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and mercy will fail me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, once again, I'm going to review. I'm going to review the last five weeks. If you've been here... This is a great reminder for us because we've slept or we've not slept depending on how you're coming in this morning and we easily forget. So I'm going to review if you haven't been here. Hey, it's like you were here in 50,000 foot view version. So week one, <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need or in other translations, I shall not want. Or you could even look at the definition and, and it'd be another way of saying I am content. And in this, David was saying the Lord as his shepherd, and we explored what that ancient shepherd looked like, what they went through leading sheep in the wilderness of the Middle East in different times, what it was like to uh, be out in the wilderness, to take care of sheep, the attributes, the characteristics that a shepherd would have to have. And in that same way, God said that he's a shepherd. Jesus Christ in the New Testament says, I am the good shepherd in the Gospel of John. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. David knew this very personally because he also started out life as a young boy as a shepherd. And so he knew what that felt like. He knew what that was like to experience that. And David also experienced the Lord being his shepherd throughout his life. And if you know anything about his story uh, in, in scriptures and chronicles and Samuel and different places in the Old Testament, we can see just how much David experienced God as a shepherd. David experienced some of the highest of highs of God's favor and blessing that we as a believer could experience here on earth. And he also felt the wrath and the justice of God and some of his lowest of lows of his ultimate sins and failures, including an affair including murdering the husband of the woman that he had the affair with, including pride in counting up his kingdom when it wasn't about him, it was about God. 
And multiple times, and there were ramifications for this, but yet time and time again, we see God as his shepherd, forgiving him, pursuing him, and coming after him. In verse 2, week 2, we saw rest for the weary, and that he makes us lie down in green pastures, or he lets us lie down in green pastures. God knows the path and the road ahead. We don't. Sometimes he needs us to pause so that we are rested and ready for that journey. Sometimes we need it and we know we need it and he gives it to us. And that green pasture, and that green pasture is a place of peace and tranquility. Set your allergies aside. It's a place where God provides what we need through the nourishment of his word. Like lush green grass would provide the food and the nourishment the sheep would need so they'd have the energy for the journey ahead. God's word does that for us in our spiritual lives. And not only that, but he leads us beside the still and quiet waters. And that the good shepherd back then would need to carve out nooks of that running water because the sheep cannot drink from that running water. They literally couldn't get a drink. They'd literally drown. And so he would have to carve that out, create a small still pool for them to drink out of. And we see later on that Jesus calls himself the living water in the New Testament with the woman at the well. And that if we drink from him, we will never thirst again. And what a, what a great picture of Jesus carving that out and saying, drink, I am what you need. I am what you want. I am what you're looking for. Quit trying to fill your life with pursuits of career and possessions and uh, things to fill that void that you're looking for to try to make yourself happy. It's me, I'm right here. And I've provided the field in my word. I've provided the cool, clear pool of water for you to drink from. And we talked about how that was significant in that it's like our prayer life. In week three, our title was For His Namesake. He renews our life, our soul. He turns us back to that word to renew means turns us back, refreshes repairs. Even just this week, has anybody felt like their soul is needing some repairs, some refreshment? And he does this for us, guys. He does this. And again, he's always out front leading us. And when we feel at a distance, it's not because he's veered off the path and he's hiding behind a rock so we can't find him or see him. No. It's because we've lost our way and we've wandered off and there are rocks between us and him and we can't see him or we find ourselves looking for some pleasure in the thorn bushes where there's tempting grass underneath in the meantime we got ourselves caught and we can't even get ourselves out he turns us back refreshes us repairs us he leads us along the right paths not the wrong paths the right paths can be hard and difficult and tiring but it doesn't mean it's the wrong path. How do you know which is the right path and the wrong path? Are you after things for yourself or are you after things for God? Do you have a heart for people around you or could you care less? Are you hard-hearted towards God and what he desires and wants? Is it more about you? Or is it less about you and more about him? That's how we know what path we're on. For his name's sake, at the end of that verse, signifying that all this is about him and all this is for him. Not because he's some 
egocentric God, it's because there is nothing and no one better or greater than him. And should any of this be for anything other than him, ourselves included, it will be for a lesser value. It would taint it. It would lessen it. Week four through the shadows, that even when we go through that darkest valley, we should fear no danger, for he is with us. His rod and staff, they comfort us. Key words that we talked about here, when we go through the shadows, the dark valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, when, the other key word is through. It's not our destination. It's something we are going through. All right? Just like a cell phone call. We'll get through that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say something. You were laughing, so I thought it'd be good. <laughs> Why should we not fear danger? Why could David confidently say, we're not going to fear danger? Because the good shepherd was with him. He was out front, leading. He was, he was on point. And not only that, he has a rod and a staff to comfort him. The rod being a weapon for defense. A rod being something to clear the bushes out of the way. If that's the path in which they need to go. The staff being something that he could snag us when we have wandered off out of those bushes. And pull us back out. His rod and his staff, they comfort him. Something I haven't mentioned along the way, but I feel like I should today, is that there were times in ancient shepherding, and maybe in the Middle East still today, I'm not sure, that a sheep would keep wandering off and keep wandering off and keep wandering off. And the shepherd would then have to take his rod or his staff after he went and found it, the sheep and break its leg and put that sheep on his shoulders until that leg healed. Because the shepherd knew what was best. See, he knew what was down the path here. He knew if that sheep was going to make it to the end of the journey, he was going, he or she was going to have to learn. And he was going to have to do something to help them learn. And so in part of our life, and part of our journey, and part of our travels, it can be that. When we keep wandering off, and God's grace and God's goodness, because of his love for us, as we will see today, how he continues to pursue us, sometimes he needs to trip us up so we end up on our face, so we remember who he is and who we are. <clears throat> there are shadows of evil. There is an enemy. First Peter 5.8 tells us that. Not to code over that, not to think that that is not a part of it as well. And we should be aware of that. We should be aware of who he is, that he's out trying to get us and steal us from the good shepherd. Just like the wolf is here. But again, like I've said before, if you were here, where's that wolf facing? He knows who's boss. His end is determined. He is defeated. He cannot do anything without God's permission. Week five, last week, my cup overflows. You see, the good shepherd also prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and he 
will anoint our heads with oil, our cups overflow. And <laughs> it's not indigestion. It's, it's not oily, nasty hair. It's, it's not about a mess all over the table to clean up. It means far more than that. It's, it's him taking care of us and providing for us. Because along the way, along the path, there are holes with vipers in them. And he would take it Hogwarts oil and go before the sheep, circle them with the oil, so that the vipers, if they came out and could bite the sheep's nose and kill them with their venom, they couldn't cross it because it was too slick. And then the smell would keep the sheep from going to them. So it doesn't mean that God's going to just remove all the enemies away from us in our journey and our time on earth. It doesn't mean it's just going to be this super easy, chill path. And in fact, he says, take up your cross and follow me there will be suffering. But again, it's for his glory and it's for our best. You see, would you like to be the baby Christian that's shallow, that's blown around and who knows, anything can knock him over? Or would you like to be like the tree that's lasted and weathered storms? Its roots have grown deep through drought and hurricane and wind and hail. And there's strength and confidence in who your shepherd is. There's an intimacy and a relationship with him. There's a, this table before him. He's picking the choice herbs where the sheep can't even reach and holding them right here next to him for the sheep who are right beside him. The additional blessing for those who are choosing to be close, choosing to follow him, choosing to spend time with him in the word and in prayer not because, not because for any reason, but to bless those who love him. And again, nothing about this is about our works that saves us. Our works do not save us. It is God's grace, him initiating, as you see through this whole chapter, him initiating in everything. And our response is to follow. It's our response is to follow. Do you want to be back here? Were you just kind of munching on the leftover grass where all the sheep have gone before? Or do you want to be right up front getting that first nibble and also getting to eat some of those choice herbs up on the rocks and the cliffs that he's holding out for those right beside him? The great thing about it, guys, is it's not a limited number of spots. We're all welcome at that table close to him. He prepares that for us. The anointing the head with oil is a blessing and a commissioning of us. Uh, that's what it's symbolic of, to love him, to love others, and to make disciples. And he, what he anoints us with today is the New Testament church is the Holy Spirit. The counselor, the teacher, the guide that embodies us and empowers us with the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead after going to the cross is in us. It's in us. And we are empowered to then love and appreciate and understand the Good Shepherd more so as we do this, as we spend time on our own, as we serve and love others. What's the best way to defeat a pity party? 
serve somebody. Quit looking at yourself and your own stuff. That's selfish pride. It's a form of pride, even though you're like in the pits of despair. Just so you know. It's pride. Okay? I, I go there too. I'm not above it. I can fall into it as well. Okay? So I'm saying this as a friend and a, and a co-laborer. But that's pride. That puts us there. And we have to quit looking here. And we've got to look here and look here. We've got to look vertically to God, the Good Shepherd. And we've got to look horizontally to those around us. And that is the fastest and quickest way to get past a pity party. Our cups will be spilling out all over the place because of this. This is almost like David's statement and proclamation. And that that symbolism in the Jewish culture is when a guest would come to a house and the owner of the house would fill the cup and let it overflow on purpose. And that was symbolic of saying, you are welcome here. I want you here. Your presence is desired. You may be here as long as you want. And that is David acknowledging that God has set this table up. My cup is overflowing and I am welcome here. So today in verse 6, only goodness... And faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Something I need to share with you real quick is just some work that God's been doing in my own heart this last week. Um, Had some folks come to me in love and just challenge me on some things. And and one of my big walkaways was... um, They had never heard me pray directly to God the Father here in church. And I acknowledged that and admitted that. And I started pondering on that. Why do I not pray to God the Father? He's a member of the triune God, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I started thinking in my own heart, okay, why would I only pray to Jesus? I don't believe whatsoever it's wrong to pray to Jesus. I also don't think it's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit either. The Bible does not say that that's wrong. Uh, And my thought and just my common sense and logic is is we should talk to all three if we want to know them, right? Different parts of the the triune God. But in my journey and process and study and prayer in this, I found that I I had a misconstrued picture of God. See, I was tying it to some old wounds from my past. And I saw Jesus as, as not my friend in a demeaning way, but he calls himself our friend in some scripture. And so I, he's, he's my champion. He's my mediator, and he is. And he is yours as well. But I saw God as the guy who was in, in the judge's seat, like, hmm, well, if it wasn't for this guy. And I just kind of had this misconstrued picture of God's love for me. And so, I just felt like I needed to share that and confess that to you. And so, I apologize for that. Um, and, and having that, having that, having God in a box. Uh, because of my wounds and not, not trusting him beyond that. And, I don't know. 
I just knew that I was supposed to share that this morning. It doesn't necessarily tie in with the teaching, but um, at the same time, I want you to know that I'm on the same journey as you guys are. That just because I have this microphone on, and it doesn't mean that I have everything figured out whatsoever. And so please keep praying for me in this. I'm going to keep praying for you. Let's keep journeying together arm in arm in this process. But if you ever really truly want to get slammed in the face with something from the scriptures, offer to teach on it. Um, And so, (laughs) well, just read Psalm 23 and you know what's going on in our house. So uh, (laughs) these last six weeks. Um, But at the end of it all, at the end of these six weeks, I can say with confidence like David did that only goodness and faithful love or mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. You see, God's goodness is not about my circumstances. God's goodness is based on him and his character, and he's unchanging. I change my emotions sway. My, my misconceptions and ideas and different things, uh, wounds come in and, and sidebars of kind of like the pop-ups on the internet sites. It, those are kind of popping up in our minds and, and getting us off track. But the goodness of God is steady and true. And see, what I love about the Christian Standard Bible's translation here is this, it uses pursue as opposed to follow me. And not that follow me is inaccurate, but I like the word pursue because if you go back to that original Hebrew word, it's also used like a hunter pursues its prey. Uh, there's a, and it's, and it's more than just, hey, I want to go get that trophy deer from my wall so everybody can look at me and see this awesome deer that I got. It's more about, I am on the hunt and I'm pursuing my prey because without this prey, I will starve. It's more of a need in this and not that God needs us in this, but that we need his goodness and his faithful love or in some translations mercy. And they're going to pursue us. You see, if we're following the shepherd, his goodness is going to be right there with us. His faithful love, his mercy is going to be right there with us. And you can't look at the life of David and not see that time and time and time again. And that should give us hope and peace and comfort that no matter what we've done, no matter what our sin is in the past or last night, his goodness... And his faithful love will continue to pursue us. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the series of books that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Chronicles of Narnia. If you have not read them, I recommend them strongly. They're a great read whether you're a young person or adult. And in the first book of the series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, one of the children, and I believe it was Lucy that was asking the characters, the, the animals in the books can talk. And there's a character called Aslan, and he is a lion, and he is to be representative of God. And so the children had never met Aslan. They're just coming into Narnia through the wardrobe, and, and they're Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're having this conversation, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking about Aslan. And he's on the prowl, and he's on the move. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? 
I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And see, our natural tendency is that we want God to be safe. We want him to be safe according to what we think is safe. And we could pull this room and we could maybe come to some kind of consensus over here of what we think safe is. And then we could go over here and we could go, eh, let's come to some kind of a consensus. It might be kind of hard because some of my kids are in here and they like to argue with me sometimes and I like to argue with them. So it might be harder in this section. And we might come over here and come to some kind of consensus of what's safe. And those could be three different definitions of what safe is. And we could go talk to the kids over here and they might have a whole new definition of what they think is safe. You see, safe is our version of thinking that life is in control and manageable and we understand it. And unfortunately, we look at that through the lens of the world. And so it seems to be more tied to, hey, you know what? There weren't any natural disasters. Uh, we're all healthy right now. Uh, you know, nobody's hurting each other right now in the home. We have the food that we need. Or we don't have the food that we need. What, what would our, de our definition could vary depending on our circumstances, our context that we're coming from. God doesn't vary. He is unchanging and his goodness remains the same in this. And yet we think that, I don't know, why would a good God let bad things happen? And we can chase that rabbit and we can, we can listen to all those bloggers and people of the world who aren't even trying to pursue a relationship and getting to know the shepherd. Isn't that like gossip? It, shouldn't we go to the source for the true information? There was an article that appeared in CNN by Tim Keller that I think that articulates this very well. He's describing this to the interviewer. There's a book called 1,000... Tim Keller is speaking here. In Ann Voskamp's book titled 1,000 Gifts, she shares her journey to understand the senseless death of her sister, crushed by a truck at the age of two. In the end, she concludes that the primary issue is whether we trust God's character. Is he really loving? Is he really just? Her conclusion, God gave us Jesus. If God didn't withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything we need? We need according to him, not what we think we need. If trust must be earned, hasn't God inequivocally earned our trust with the bark from the cross on the raw wounds? The thorns pressed into the brow. Your name, my name on his cracked lips. How will he not also graciously give us all things he deems best and right? He's already given the incomprehensible. You see, what we do deserve 
is not safety. What we do deserve is eternal punishment in hell. That's what we do deserve. And yet God, in His mercy and love and grace, His faithful goodness, His faithful love, His unending mercy pursuing us, sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came willingly and submitted to God, even though praying, hey, if there's another way, I'd really like to not do this. That's my paraphrase, obviously. But not my will, but yours, God. And Jesus humbling himself before God the Father. Not because he was inferior, but out of love. He went to the cross, perfect, blameless, holy, and paid for our sins. Giving us the right to be at the table should we so accept the invitation. Anything beyond that is bonus. Anything beyond that is bonus. So let's quit. I'm going to challenge you and I need you to challenge me. Let's quit chasing those rabbits down the rabbit hole, so to speak of thinking that we deserve more than that. But here's the great thing about God. Not only does he give us that, he gives us so much more. He gives us so much more. Did you see the sunset last night? I didn't, but my wife sent me a picture of it. As I'm in the wee hours of the morning in an ER hospital room, I'm checking Facebook and I'm seeing, Linda, your posts of the sunrise. And so I'm getting to vicariously join and enjoy God's beauty that he lavishly pours. What about taste? Have you guys ever stopped and thought about that? Taste. Did God have to give us taste buds? No. But I tell you what, there is some delicious food out there. And a lot of y'all know how to do that right and well. God didn't have to give us that. And so when something is delicious and we enjoy it, should we not respond? And God, thank you. Thank you for this unbelievable steak. Thank you for these no-bake peanut butter, whatever else you put in those, we probably shouldn't know. <laughs> things that you won the dessert contest with a couple weeks ago, Kathy. <laughs> We just don't look very hard for the gifts that he gives us in and amongst life. God's goodness, his mercy, they are following us all the days of our life. Psalms 51. Listen to this. Uh, if, if it wouldn't be uncomfortable, maybe close your eyes and listen to us. And I don't have the best voice, but just... This is David after being confronted by Nathan the prophet. After being confronted and, hey, you just had an affair. You sinned against God. You sinned against man in front of the whole kingdom. And then you killed her husband. 
And you're thinking that you're going away with this scot-free. And Nathan comes in and confronts him. This is David's response, Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. We should have that sense when we are convicted of our sin that David felt. And see, one sin separates us from God. One sin. Certainly there are sins that have far greater consequences such as an affair or murdering somebody. Yes, absolutely. But all it takes is one white lie to separate us from God. You see, because of Psalm 51, <clears throat> because of the first five verses of Psalms 23, David could state only or surely with confidence. David knew God's promises, not just from life experience, but he studied the word. Did you guys know that every king of Israel had to literally copy all of the law before they could become king? I don't have estimates of how long that took. I imagine it took a while. That was a requirement for them to become a king of Israel. So David would have read this and wrote this in his own hand from Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. You see, sin has consequences. We want it to have consequences. If somebody broke into our house and hurt severely somebody that we loved and cherished, we would want consequences and justice for them. And yet, sometimes we don't think God should act that same way. No wonder it says in Jeremiah how we don't even know our own hearts. Goodness and faithful love will pursue David, will pursue you, will pursue me, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our good shepherd, as our Lord, as our Savior, all the days of our life. I can't help but share another psalm of David's with you this morning, Psalms 139 Verses 1 through 12. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts 
from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. Have you ever held a baby that way? Have you ever been held that way? Where you are just wrapped up by somebody who loves you dearly and they put your head against their chest and they've got their hand on the side of your head. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's really easy to immediately jump to heaven that David's talking about heaven here. And I thought that a long time. But at studying for this this week, I think it can infer that, but I think it meant more about his time on earth. And let me explain that. You see, in the house of the Lord is referring to God's temple. And in Old Testament times, that was the place where God had established, that's where I will be, that is where my presence will be. And when you see this and you read this, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and then you tag on as long as I live, well, there's not an end to living in heaven. It doesn't end. And so that's what brought me around and and I wasn't the only one that came to this conclusion. If you're the only one that interprets scripture and you look around and some commentaries and different things, you're the only one with that idea, don't proclaim that idea from the rooftops, all right? Usually there's going to be some more folks out there that are going to come to that same conclusion. We, you could be off base. So uh, that's just a, a safer place to, to be. But that what David really in essence is saying is I am going to dwell, I'm going to live in, I am going to remain in God's presence while I'm here on earth. Because when we're in heaven, there will, ha there will not be the need to dwell or remain in it. We'll be in it. We'll be in it. Period. Now God's presence on earth, we can sever that with sin. That sin can separate that fellowship with him. And just like David, he'll still pursue us. He'll still forgive us and bring us back. But David had severe consequences. His family was a train wreck. 
His kingdom went to shambles. He had sons raping daughters. He had sons rising up wanting to kill him and take over the throne. He had sons coming in and sleeping with his wives on the rooftops of the palace. It was a train wreck. You think your family's bad. There were consequences, but God still at the end called him a man after his own heart. And so David is proclaiming, I am going to remain in God's presence as long as I live. And thus we should too. That we should do everything we can to remain and abide in Christ. And we're coming full back, full back circles, circling back, sorry. How do we do that? We've got to be in his word. This is what he has said. This is what he has written for us. We have got to be in communication with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit through our prayer. That's how. We remain in him. If we're chasing answers on random blogs online, listening to neighbors, the front page of the Inquirer and the checkout, well, yeah, we're going to be over here drowning in the creek. We're already in his belly. Our future, as we travel down the path and as our bodies wear out, is too glorious to show on this painting, as great as this painting is. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day? Can we hold it in tandem, a longing for that day and yet a contentment and joy in serving him until that day comes? We have been commissioned and anointed to do so. Revelation 22.20 John tells us that that is exactly what we should be looking towards and wishing for. He says, He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. That is Jesus saying that. And John says, in conclusion, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I hope and pray that each of your knowledge and understanding of this chapter in the Old Testament has grown over the last few weeks. Mine has. Mine has. I will never look at Psalm 23 the same again. As a result of that, I hope and pray that your love for our God the Father Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has grown as well.
I'm sorry for no slides this morning except for the verses. These guys are doing a good job. I sent them nothing and they've just been following along. I appreciate it, fellas. But I want to conclude with just kind of the summary. And then we'll, we'll stand and pray. And then as we leave, do you guys still have that song I sent? You got that? You guys are awesome. Thank you. Summary of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is our shepherd. He provides for us, nourishes us through his word, and through prayer. It's in verse 2. He leads us. He doesn't drive us. He renews us. He leads us on the right path for his name's sake. He is with us. He comforts us. He protects us from our enemies. He anoints and commissions us to serve. He welcomes us. He pursues us and saves us. Who is doing all the work? It's not me. It's not you. It's our good shepherd. Lovingly, gently, tenderly leading us. Our part is to accept it and remain close. That's it. You don't need a college degree, high school diploma, kindergarten graduation certificate to do this. I don't care what your education background is. There are Bible apps. If you can't read, you can listen. We are without excuse today. Let me pray Psalms 23 over us. And then you're welcome to leave as you want. The guys are going to play this video. I just thought this video would be just a great way to conclude uh, with the song of what we've been studying. Lord Jesus, you, you are my shepherd. And I know you are the shepherd to many in here. And Father, if there is somebody in here that is not claiming you as their shepherd today, Lord, please, please continue to pursue them. That you would open their hearts and their minds to your love and your grace. Lord, we can proclaim and state that we have what we need because you are our shepherd. In the shadows, in the darkness, in the emergency rooms, the traffic jams and the accidents, being laid off or fired from work, severed or broken relationships, you are still what we need. Father God, along the way, you, you lead us into green pastures and you nourish us with your word. You lead us beside still and quiet waters and provide rest and healing that we need through our prayer life to you. Lord, you, you renew, you refresh, you repair our souls, our lives. Lord, you lead us on the right path. For your sake, for there is no other name that is above yours. Everyone will bow 
to your name, Lord. Everyone. And there will be some who will rejoice at that prospect. And there will be some who won't. But they will still bow. The question is, Lord, is when will we bow? Will we do it today while we can and have the choice? Or will we do it someday when we no longer have that choice? Lord, we don't have to fear. Because you are with us. Not because of anything we've done. But because of you. You comfort us. Lord, you prepare a table before us. You don't promise us an easy life here. But you promise to love us. You promise to be with us. You promise to be our hope and our peace. And to provide all that we need and then some. And you have already through your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, then you, you not only provide our salvation, you then anoint us and commission us to join you on the playing field and loving you and loving others and making disciples. Thank you. What a privilege and blessing that is. What an easy solution to get past being in despair. Lord, we can confidently say our cup overflows. And we can continue in that confidence as we state that your goodness, your faithful love, your mercy, they will pursue us, Lord. And let our proclamation be our part, be to remain in your presence, to remain right next to you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your work in each one of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you will be faithful to complete that work in our lives. We praise you, Lord, for the baptisms this morning as proclamation of your work and your gift of salvation. In your name, Lord, amen.